Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week and welcome back to the program as we continue our study on the book of Romans. We are in chapter 12. This is the third segment that we've done on the book of uh, Romans. And what a study it's been. I, I tell you, I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. We still have a ways to go. I, it's taken me way longer than I thought. But I really, really believe these are valuable, valuable tools that you can use to study this incredible book. And let me say to you, because uh, you know, some, uh, there are different groups that are using our material like in their home groups, or their uh, midweek service, or their cell groups, or their, uh, you know, groups uh, midweek, or even in just their own personal study. We also have a few schools that use our material in them as far as uh, part of their classroom stuff. So we're really trying to do this in a way that even if we want to use it in the future, on a college level, that it is there for uh, people to be able to literally learn the language of the Spirit and how to uh, navigate the gospel and the gospel of grace. But uh, for for your review, just let me quickly tell you that if you've missed any of the programs that we've even aired to date, you can go back to my YouTube channel, and all of it is uh, there archived, at least for now, or you can watch it at your leisure at no cost to you. There's also an RSS feed for your Android device and a podcast. The easiest way to do that is to go to our website at lynnhiles.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, there is a link to all of those outlets so that you can follow us, or if you want to go back and review, perhaps this is the first time you've tuned in and you enjoying what you're hearing. Let me tell you, it's still available to you to watch on demand. We're amazed at how powerful YouTube is. As a matter of fact, I got an email this morning from someone who watched one of my YouTube messages and was just totally blessed by it. But we're talking about the 12th chapter of Romans today, and I'm just going to jump right in uh, and, and read from the New King James, and then I'm going to come back and read this to you from the message. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, uh, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt with each to uh, each one of us a measure of faith. For as we have many members in the body, but uh, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now let me come back because I want to read this to you from the message because it, I, I just love how it words. It makes it so understandable. He says, this is verse 1, Romans 12, the Message Bible. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. I want to make that clear. Because when you think about the grace given to me, it's God's help, His divine influence on your heart. It is a divine, uh, 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 you know, uh, empowerment, if you will. It is His gifting. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and going around life, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. 
embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Now think about that. He said, if you're talking about, see, we make the gospel so difficult, but this makes it so plain. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your everyday, ordinary life, God helping you, you're, you're, you're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you. See, I think what we've done is get more about what we've done for God rather than what God is doing for us. It, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Now think about that. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you, living then as every one of you does, in pure grace. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what He does for us, not by what we are and what we do for Him. And that's what I have talked about in the last several weeks is that conformity is what you think you can do for God, but transformation is responding to what He's done for us. We talked about becoming obedient to the faith, and we talked about uh, we talked about uh, uh, what if God would get hungry, and we talked about uh, uh, out of Psalm 50 that what God was really looking for was obedience, but we showed you how Christ was the ultimate fulfillment of the obedience that God was looking for because He became obedient and obedient to the death of the cross. And as Hebrews said, sacrifice and offerings you have had no pleasure, but a body you have prepared for me. In other words, Jesus presented Himself as the ultimate sacrifice that He could present us to God as being sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, and perfecting forever them that are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That's focusing on what God does for us instead of what we're doing for Him. Now once you focus on what God is doing for us, and you get that doesn't mean there's no change in your behavior. What that does is it begins to not conform you, but transform you. In other words, your my heart, I am I, I have had so much real heart change in the climate of freedom and under grace than I ever had under rules. See, some, I, what happens to us is we, w- when we think what we do for God is what we're justified by. We think we're justified by the works of the flesh rather than the hearing of faith. That was the stumbling block and the stone of offense that Romans 10 talked about, that we talked about a few segments ago, is that, uh, is that Israel stumbled at the rock of offense and tried to go about establishing their own righteousness, but had not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. In other words, they were trying to be made righteous on the basis of their performance rather than receiving the free gift of righteousness. In other words, one is, I'm trying to do this to attain something. That's conformity. The other one says, I've already attained something, so it's out of that that I do. In other words, I am not doing to be. 
I already be, and so it's out of what I be that I do. That's a powerful concept. What a shift that is. Because the difference is all my life and most of uh, religion taught me was how to be conformed. Here's our rules. This is what you do. This is how you get it. You know, and you got, everybody's got a different formula. And if you've traveled for 43 years like I have, you'll find every group's got a different set of rules. And so you basically, even one of the things that really opened my eyes to it when I started traveling abroad and I started seeing a whole lot of stuff that we preach in America is nothing more than an American culture. But what we've done is become just what this uh, message Bible says. We, 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 we've allowed our culture, we've become conformed to our culture without even thinking about it. So when he starts talking about, you know, he says, he said, he said uh, you know, what we need to do is place our life before God, embracing what God does for us is the best thing you can do for Him. Start embracing what God is doing in you. That's the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to, uh, to I'm, I'm sorry, I lost my, lost my spot here. Uh, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. See, it's God working in us. we got to see that. It's God working in us, both to will and to do of His own good pleasure. He said, you do this without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of, of, of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given to me, and especially as I have responsibility in relation to you, living then as every one of you does in pure grace. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what He does for us, not by what we are doing or what we do for Him. In this way, we are like the various parts of the human body, and we'll get into that in a later segment. But I was thinking to myself, even as I was looking at this, this becomes so practical to me. I, I, you know, some of the, the meetings that I'm, I'm, I've been doing here towards the end of uh, this year and getting ready to start into 2023, I've really been on the theme of new creation realities. And uh, from the book of Hebrews where he said, For God did not put the world to come in subjection to angels, but one in a certain place says, What is man? that you are mindful of Him, or the Son of Man that you visit Him, you made Him a little lower than the angels, and gave Him dominion over the works of your hands. So He's declaring that the world to come, now you need to understand that the world to come does not mean after you die and go to heaven. The world to come in light of the book of Hebrews was the world that would come after the old covenant was, 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 was fulfilled and taken out of the way and that the world to come would be living life in the context of a new covenant paradigm. Almost feel like Noah who got off the boat in a new world and don't know how to live in this new world yet. But God is saying to them that the world to come, 
He did not put it in subjection to angels. You can't, that means you can't become a couch potato and that angels try to do this for you. God put us in the place of authority to create and be the architects of the world that we want to live in. And so I want to ask you, what kind of a world do you want to live in? What kind of a world are you an architect of? And as I began to think about this, I started thinking of some very practical things. And I started thinking how we can change our world from our living rooms. What we do so many times is we're looking for something outside of us to change the world that we have no control over. So we argue over politics. We all argue over theologies. We're always looking for somebody else and what their failure is and why the world is in the condition that is in, and then all of a sudden it becomes so overwhelming that you say, throw up your hand and say, well, what can I do about it? Well, you can change your corner of the world by what you do in your living room. You know, I was thinking, as he's talking about presenting your bodies a living sacrifice, he said, I want you to take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, and place it before God as an offering. In other words, everything you do is a sacrifice to God. In other words, that doesn't mean it's like, okay, this is horrible, uh, uh, treacherous, heavy working stuff trying to do something for God. No, no, it means how I treat people. You know, I, I was thinking the other day, uh, you know, uh, if you've been out much and you go out to restaurants, for instance, uh, there, there's just not very many people working. A lot of our restaurants locally are closed, and some of them close early in the day because they don't have anybody to work. And so when they are open, they have maybe one waker serving everybody in the place. And I've observed and watched, you know, even, you know, so-called Christians who treat the waitresses like dirt. And they're like, you know, demanding. And I've, I've seen several, almost in tears, I've seen people just get up and be rude. I'm, talking, I'm not just talking about I've been in restaurants with, with uh, people after church service and think, I'm almost embarrassed for you because how you act here is as much worship to God by how you treat your brother as what you just did in the church. Now, you can sing hallelujah and dance and shout and say praise the Lord, but when you get in the restaurant and you treat the waitress bad, maybe what you need to do there is become something that can encourage. And some of the times when I've seen that, you know, I called one waitress over to me. She said, she, I apologize. She said, listen, I apologize for being so I said, listen, ma'am, thank you. Let me just say to you, we're just thankful for anybody that will come to work today. And we realize that you are just, uh, you know, one person trying to serve. So we're, we're, we're cool with that. We knew when we came in here that it would be a little while because of the status of what's going on. And I always try to tip them even bigger because somebody usually walked out and didn't tip them at all. And sometimes I think sometimes we come in even after church services and we bring 12 or 14 people and they work and we give them a $2 tip. I think sometimes what we need to do is become a representation of the goodness of God. Even when people are at their worst moments, maybe that waitress is having problems at home. Maybe her children aren't behaving. That's a way to treat, and I shared with you in prior segments how Jesus said, you know, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that you have ought against your brother, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then bring your gift. And then the lawyer comes to Jesus in the story of the Samaritan. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't have time to unpack all of that. But Jesus responds to him and says, love the Lord your God. He said, which is the great commandments? And Jesus said, well, 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, and your brother, your neighbor, as yourself. So he elevates how you treat your neighbor to the same level of love the Lord your God. Because if you can't love your neighbor whom you see, but you can't, and you say you love God whom you have not seen, then something's wrong with this. That's a simple way to not fit into the culture of the day. You know, it's amazing to me how people get behind of the driver's seat of a wheel and turn into, you know, turn into a road rager. I'm talking about Christians. And turn into, and see, it's stuff that we've learned, and we learn how to fit into the culture of the day. We get so caught up in the culture of the day that we just get swept away by, uh, you know, what's, let me just say this as well. I I was thinking the other day, my mother-in-law is 90. She comes to our house pretty much every day, and we feed her because she's, she's getting up in years. And after we eat, her and I usually go in and watch a little house on the prairie. And, uh, you know, just something we do together. And uh, as I watched this program, I thought, you know what, man, this was back when TV was good. This was back when, you know, it taught you things like how to get over racial prejudice. They dealt with issues like how they felt about the Indians, how they felt about the slaves being released and and the black-white culture. They talked about how you can uh, help your neighbors. They talked about how you can uh, diffuse problems and, 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 and help each other and work through issues. And I thought, you know what? Maybe we need to turn the channel of some of the culture that's trying to be shoved down our throat today and let our kids sit in front of something like that that might be a little bit more wholesome. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic about that. I'm just trying to simply say that what we take in and what we consume, we're probably going to learn, you know, vengeance and hatred and all kinds of stuff through all of this. And we listen to the news. Let me tell you something. The news, even the news, I've had to put myself on the fast from the news because it will, it will make you, it will vex your spirit. And depending on which you, one you have to see, it will teach you to hate people that you never hated before. Somebody has to teach you to hate. You weren't born hating people. I think we need to come back to uh, the simple family meal in the evening where we lay our cell phones down. No cell phones at the table. And we sit down as a meal together and say, how was your day? And start to talk about some things and share with each other, talk about our lives and start to develop some relationships outside of cyberspace. Because what you see on cyberspace is not real. It's people's public public profile campaign. And what happens is, as you start to measure yourself by that and all kinds of stress and stuff happen, but can I simply say this? What you talk about at your dinner table and your living room can change your world and the culture you're in. You, 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 you can get rid of racial prejudice in your house. You can get rid of hatred in your house. You can begin to put the gospel in your children in your house, and it begins to transform the world, not from the top down, but from the bottom up. Because we keep thinking, here's what I think. I've been saying this recently, and I, I may make somebody mad, but my audience is way too big to get political. And I do believe you need to be involved in politics, and I believe when the righteous reign, the people rejoice, and I think you ought to vote your heart. All that stuff's good. I think maybe God has called people into politics. But can I say this? We think sometimes we're looking for the government to answer with legislative power the problems of our society when our problem in society is a heart issue. It's not a conformity issue. It's a heart transformation. Uh, you know, I think it was one of our founding fathers that said, if there is not something that governs a man from the inside out, we cannot pass enough laws to create a civilized society. 
But when you start to allow the Lord to transform your heart from the inside out. But so let me just say this. This is what I've been saying is, okay, let's say we get to finally, we get control of the White House. We get control of Congress. We get control of the Senate. And we as a Christian people get to pass the laws that we want. Now the church is going to run the government. My question has been this. Which church do you want to run it? Now think about that a minute. Do you want the Pentecostal holiness? Do you want the, uh, the Catholics? Do you want the Baptists? Do you want the uh, Presbyterians? Do you want the Muslims to run it? See, when our founding fathers were brilliant. Because what we don't realize is because we sat in this small window of 2022-2023, and we, we, we don't realize that the reason they left England and left the old country and came to the United States was to escape the tyranny of a religious system where the king was the head of the church and mandated what you had to do. See, that climate does not produce heart transformation. It produces tyranny. And you go back through the history because we don't study church history. We don't realize that a whole lot of stuff was done under the guise of Christianity and forcing the Christian agenda. Don't think you can force. If Listen, if legislative power could produce the kingdom, Jesus, or not Jesus, Moses already had the best laws on the book and it did not produce the kingdom. That's why Jesus said the kingdom does not come with observation. Uh, another translation says the kingdom does not come with your careful observances. He's talking about the observances of an old covenant paradigm. It did not produce the kingdom, because the kingdom of God is not here or there. The kingdom of God is within you, or the government of heaven set up inside of you. And the outflow of that is what produces that. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't have laws? I think there are laws that must govern the sinner and the ungodly, but I think we must keep a climate of freedom, because if you don't have a climate of freedom, then there's no way to really uh, express truly what's in your heart. And I think that sometimes that's a messy thing, but I also think I'm thankful for freedom. Because like I said, we could go back through history and see some of the stuff that happened. And you know what? We, could, we, we need to think about some of this stuff, because what if at some point some other group besides Christianity takes over the government? I've been in foreign countries in, where uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was governed by uh, a Muslim faith, and uh, the only reason the Christians had a right to worship was because some of those countries gave them the freedom to. Some places they don't give them the freedom to. What I'm simply saying is we must have freedom. And we must have freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. No longer to be uh, enslaved in, 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 in the whole bondage, even of a religious paradigm. Now what will happen is if you come to know God and you do what we're talking about here in Romans, the 12th chapter, you simply present your body as a living sacrifice. Say, God, what can I do to create and be the architect of the world to come? What can I do in my world to change it? Well, I can walk across the street. I said this recently in a conference I was at, see, is that I can generically hate somebody that you've taught me how to hate, whether it's a person of color or a person of a different view than I've got. And so we, we, we hate generically, but no, that person never did anything wrong to me. I didn't do anything wrong to them. So we have to stop letting people teach us how to hate. We have to start 
allowing the Holy Spirit. And I think even you see these cultural shifts, and that was the thing that stood out about the early church was, by this you'll know you're my disciples because of your love one to another. There was, God was doing something so massive here that He was, un, he was including insiders, outsiders, Jew and Gentile, and He was bringing them together in one body, as we'll see in the next segment of this. He's talking about being one body, being many, was being made up of both Jew and Gentile. That's what the, the 11th chapter of Romans was about, was the, uh, the wild uh, olive tree and the, and the natural brass being grafted back into the true vine. The true vine was Christ. In other words, to make out of twain one new man. And so the reality of it is, is that real cultural shift is when we as Christians start to make known to principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God. And I was thinking about, I made a post about it this week on my Facebook page. We think demonic when we're thinking about principalities and powers, but I was talking about governing authorities. Because governing authorities can be demonic spirits, but governing authorities can be church leaders, it can be government leaders, or the leaders of the current place where you live or the principality in which you reside. And instead of being famous for uh, what we're against in the church, maybe we need to get famous for what we're for and come up with some manifold wisdom. Maybe instead of just picketing an abortion clinic, perhaps you could become a foster parent or adopt someone's baby or reach out to that young mother whose life is in distress and say, can I help you in some way? That's the kind of stuff that changes our culture. And what we've done is we've been taught, and the more and more we do that, the more polarized we become, and the more hatred that begins to come, and we head sometimes almost for bloodshed and war because we are going to stand up for what is right. And I believe in standing up for what is right, but I think the way Jesus did it is the way it needs to be done. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out devils. He didn't come railing against Caesar. He didn't come, I mean, he, he, he did talk about the religious rulers of his day because he was leading them out of the tyranny of an old covenant paradigm. But he simply began to minister and manifest to a culture that was in total upheaval in Roman occupation and constant tribulation, famine, all that stuff was going on, and he began to manifest the manifold wisdom of God. And when you look at the word manifold, here's an interesting study. Look at the word manifold, and it always talk about the manifold grace or the manifold mercies of God, because it is manifold, it is manifold. And can I tell you that I think that's what he's talking about. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. And manifesting that to people that's around you. You, you know, it's how you treat people, even, you know, uh, 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 even as leaders. Sometimes we only want to deal with people that can be beneficial to us. But when you'll take somebody that everybody thinks is a nobody, they might become the greatest somebody. Well, we're about to run out of time. Thank you for joining us again this week. If you'd like to sow a seed into the ministry to help us to take uh, the gospel around the world, as we are doing, please go to our website at lynnhiles.com. It's on the screen. Or you can scan that QR code on your phone. It will take you directly to it. Link. It's so easy and you can give via a credit card or debit card or however you want to through our PayPal portal. You can also write a check 
or send a money order to Lynn Howes Ministries and send it to the address that will come up on the screen, or you can call the phone number that comes up on the screen and someone will take your call. If you don't receive an answer, please leave a message and we will have someone from our team call you back. Thank you for doing it today. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.